The scripture is printed on page 6. We're going to start in Matthew 2. We're going to look at a lot of different verses today. Um, you can take notes on page 7 in your bulletin if you want to do that. But before we look at the scriptures, I just want to talk a little bit about Christmas and what it does. Christmas makes people followers of Jesus. Right? That's what it does. The more you understand the real story of Christmas, the more you're going to want to follow Jesus. And following is the key. Last week, last week we saw that Christmas makes us learners. It makes us learners because Christmas teaches us that God is full of grace and truth. If you're here last week, you remember that. Christmas teaches us that God cares about the brokenness of life uh, and that God heals and renews people and lives. That's who God is. And it's interesting because Christmas actually makes Christianity unique. Right? What is unique about Christianity is Christmas. The world is full of religions, and just about every religion in the world has one thing in common. And that is that every religion in the world is about human beings working their way to heaven. You know, and heaven can be defined in lots of different ways, but it's people doing things in order to get to heaven, in order to achieve God's blessing, in order to achieve the next level. It's all about what people do. And it's interesting because along with that, most people think they recognize the world is broken and the key is to escape. Most religions teach that the key is to escape, to get the heck out of here, to go to the place where everything is better, to get free from the evil, detached from the world. But Christianity is unique. First of all, because it's not about what you do, but it's about what God has done. And one way to express this uniqueness about Christianity is Christmas. It's the nativity scene, actually. You know, there's lots of different ones. It's the nativity scene. No other religion has a nativity scene. No other religion believes that the creator God came down and was born as a human being. No other religion believes that God came down and was born as Jesus in the feeding trough of an animal. God came down and from birth, God entered into the worst situations humanly possible. God is born in a barn. God is born in a barn. We see that. Luke 2, 7. She, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. God comes to earth and sorry, we're full. He's not at the Ritz. He's in a barn. Laying among, laying in a feeding trough. And this was only the beginning, because soon after Jesus was born, soon after Jesus was born, Herod, who was the reigning king of the Jews, he went on a shooting spree. 
Matthew 2, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Friends, Jesus wasn't shielded from the evils of the world. Jesus didn't come and then escape. Jesus entered in to the greatest of the world's evil. And he did this because God wants us to know that he cares. He cares about our suffering. He cares about the brokenness of the world, and he will bring healing. The nativity scene shows God's reaction. Shows God's reaction to the problems of the world. And not just the problems of the world, but the problems in your life. The nativity scene teaches that God cares so much that he came. He came for you. He came down to get involved. And so for Christmas, now what's interesting about this is that for Christmas to matter, for Christmas to matter, it goes beyond simply learning. Hey, Christmas teaches us about God, but the nativity scene is more than learning. The nativity scene is about following. Okay, you can learn and learn and learn and learn and learn, but never follow. And until you follow Jesus, Christmas will not come true for you. Being a disciple of Jesus goes beyond learning. You need to follow him. Look what Jesus says. Luke 6, 46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Which means, why do you say you follow me and do not do what I tell you? James 1, verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so being a disciple of Jesus means learning, but also following. God offers his blessings freely to everyone. He comes to make his blessings know as far as the curse is found. So in every area of your life that's broken, as far as the curse of sin is found, he offers those blessings, but to receive those blessings, you need to receive and follow Jesus. Now, following Jesus can sound great sometimes. Sometimes it's easy, right? When you're so overwhelmed by the grace and the truth of Jesus. You, know, you just can't believe God's promises and how they've come true in your life. You see, you're moved by Jesus' love and sacrifice. And there are times when just naturally you are willing to do anything Jesus says. But not always. Not always. Oftentimes following Jesus is hard. Sometimes we don't want to follow. Sometimes we're tired. Sometimes we're frustrated or we're bitter. Sometimes we just don't believe. Sometimes we think what Jesus is asking us to do is impossible. And so Christmas prepares us to follow Jesus. Okay, back to the nativity scene here. The nativity scene, as we gather around this scene, what we see are the first people who met Jesus. The first people who met Jesus, and from the beginning, what we also learn from these folks is that following Jesus was hard. It was hard, but there was a key. There was a key to following Jesus when it's hard. Okay, the Christmas story initially is about them 
and whether they're going to follow Jesus or not, but it's also about us. Will we follow Jesus? And so we're going to look today at the wise men and then Mary and Joseph. We're going to see them and their efforts to follow Jesus. And then next week we're going to look at the angels and the shepherds. And so let's meet first the wise men. Let's meet first the wise men. They're talked about in Matthew chapter 2. That scripture's in your bulletin. Verses 1 and 2, 10 and 11. It says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, let's just pause there just for a sec. They, they went into the house. So actually, I hate to like burst your bubble, but the wise men weren't part of the nativity scene. Um, if you're going to set up a nativity scene at home and you want to do it biblically, what you want to do is you want to take the wise men and put them like on the other side of the room. Okay? Because um, when Jesus was born, they saw the star. And it seems like there could have been anywhere from four months to two years in between the time they showed up. Okay, we'll talk about that in a little bit, why that is. But, so the, the wise men weren't actually there at the barn. Okay, they came later to the house. So, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, What's exciting is that these wise men, I think, from all the study I've done, I think these wise men are the same wise men that are mentioned in the first half of the book of Daniel. Okay, if you do a search on wise men, you find wise men are in the book of Daniel. And in chapters 1 to 6, they show up and they're part of the story. Now, so what this means is that these wise men, they were actually the descendants of the ones from Daniel, right, related to, but not the same ones, because... Um, I'll tell you why in a sec. They were from Babylon, and believe it or not, their story, this is actually kind of cool, their story shows how important your work is. Okay, your work matters to God, and the wise men are proof of this. Okay? Daniel lived around 600 B.C. He was about 600 years before Jesus, and he lived in Babylon. He was part of the king's court. Okay, now, the wise men of Daniel's day, and you can read about them in, in the book of Daniel, they didn't like Daniel. They didn't like Daniel, they didn't like his God, and they didn't like his faith. And these wise men in Daniel's day persecuted Daniel. They trapped him, they actually tried to execute him because of his faith. Um, Daniel being thrown to the lions, that was the wise men. The wise men were behind that, throwing Daniel to the lions. But what's interesting is that 600 years after Daniel was alive, descendants of those wise men come from the east. So the descendants come, and they're following after. They're looking for Daniel's God. Now, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel makes this amazing prediction that God would, in about 600 years, send a king who would be the savior of the world. And so Daniel makes this prediction, and he actually tells them how many years it's going to be. And then when the star appeared, the wise men saw it, and they followed that star to Jesus. Now what happened? Like what happened with the wise men? 
Like, why did they go from trying to kill him to following after him? Well, what we know from Daniel, I guess sort of Daniel's secret to his influence, Daniel did excellent work. The job that Daniel did, Daniel did it with excellence. He was really good at what he did. He cared about what he did. He had a passion, and he did his work with excellence. And then when good things happened to him, he gave God the credit. So Daniel worked hard, and he gave God the credit. He made it really clear that he had a relationship with God, and that God was actively involved in his life. He wasn't obnoxious, but he was open about what he believed. And people didn't agree with him, but they couldn't deny that Daniel was a good guy who had a real relationship with God. I think the same thing is true for us. Your work matters. Your reputation at work matters. People might not agree with your faith, but if you do your work with excellence and you're open about your your faith, and you're open about your relationship with God, people will take notice. And this is how I became a Christian. It's how so many people become Christians. They hear about it from somebody else. They hear that someone in their life has a relationship with God. And then when, I mean, at least for me, when I got to a place in my life where I knew I needed God, I knew where to go. I knew this friend had a relationship with God. And I followed what she said. And so here's what's interesting about the wise men. So they're longing for God to come. They have this promise that comes from this book that Daniel left with them. And for 600 years, they're waiting. And then the promise finally comes true. They finally see the star. But when it comes, it's 900 miles away. That's the distance between Babylon or the route between Babylon and Jerusalem. 900 miles away. So no planes, no cars, no gas stations. It's about a four-month trip on camels. Take about four months. Man, that's a long and hard journey. So one of the things we learn from the wise men is that sometimes the road to following Jesus is long and hard. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Sometimes the road to following Jesus is long and hard. Man. For some of us, it's, it's like the road to find God feels like you are miles away. Right? And then sometimes, even after you've found God, it seems like the road to hear from him Right? You've got a huge decision in your life right now that you want to make, and you want God's input, and you pray, and you're like, where is he? These wise men, they learn, and they followed. Right? They learned from Daniel when the star appeared. They followed. They followed. They learned the promise, and then they believed it. Usually the, 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 the gap between learning and following The thing that bridges that gap is faith. It's trusting. It's one thing to say, I know that there's a promise that God's going to save the world. It's another thing to actually trust in that promise. When you begin to trust in the God who came to earth, 
born in a barn. That's what leads you to follow. And so the wise men could have seen the star and thought, oh man, (laughs) well, you know, he's supposed to be the savior of the world, so why don't we just wait until he gets here? (laughs) But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. They followed. Will you? Will you follow when God seems far away? So that's the story of the wise men. Let's look next at Joseph. Okay, Joseph. Joseph's story is in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, so engaged but in a binding way that would require divorce if they split up and not yet married, so betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So we have Joseph here. All of Israel during Joseph's days were waiting for God to send a Savior. Joseph believed in the promise of God, that God was going to send a Savior. And then finally it comes true. But wait a minute. A a virgin birth? A virgin birth. Really? Really? I mean, you can hear Joseph. It can't be. Like, Joseph's first thought was what everyone thought. Right? Oh, born of the Holy Spirit. That's new. (laughs) Um, Maybe Mary isn't so virtuous after all. That's what Joseph thought. That's what Joseph thought. And if Joseph married her, he would be saying to the community, she wasn't so virtuous. And, well, I guess neither am I. He knew how it was going to look. Joseph wanted to follow God. He he wanted to follow God, but what would everybody think? And it's interesting, because this is actually thrown back in Jesus' face 30 years later. 30 years later, look what they said to him. The religious leaders who were opposed to Jesus in John 8, 41 said, they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Implication is that, yeah, but you were, Jesus. 
Virgin birth, yeah, you're still going on about that one, huh? We weren't born of sexual immorality. Joseph and Mary both had to bear this ridicule and shame for their entire lives. For their entire lives. And so Joseph wanted to follow Jesus, but in order for Joseph to follow Jesus, he was going to have to say yes to this. Sometimes, sometimes the road to following Jesus brings ridicule and accusations and misunderstanding and even humiliation. Can I get an amen? <laughs> How many times do you get accused or do you get or do people assume about you? I mean, Joseph could have given up. But how do you live with yourself when you know it's true? Right? The angel appeared to him. Right? I mean, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. And to say yes means to say yes to this. I mean, in a culture where shame was the greatest weapon anybody had, Will Joseph follow? If Jesus asks you to follow him and you have to endure ridicule, accusations, and misunderstanding, are you willing? So that's the wise man. That's Joseph. Let's look at Mary. This is interesting. Mary, in Luke 2... 34 and 35 says this, and Simeon blessed them. This is Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. At that time, every young Jewish, Jewish girl's wildest dreams, wildest dreams was to give birth to the Messiah. Was to be the mother of the Savior, of the King, who would rule and reign forever and ever and ever. Who would bring in the glorious reign of God, God's kingdom, life perfected, all of God's enemies destroyed, all of those who are oppressed would be liberated, all, everybody would be healed, right? This is the greatest dream of every Jewish girl, but, but when it finally came to Mary, it completely crushed her expectations. And she, yes, she's going to have to bear the same shame as Joseph, right? So there's that. Take Joseph on to Mary as well, but there's another point Put on her suffering. It's, it's the phrase that's in parentheses in verse 35. A sword will pierce through your own soul. For Mary, 
This was the promise everybody was waiting for, but this wasn't how it was supposed to turn out. There should have been glory for Mary. There should have been honor for Mary. There should have been heralds and pomp and circumstance for Mary. Not a sword piercing your soul. Because for Mary, man, far more than her own suffering, Mary was going to have to watch her son suffer. The king, the savior when he comes, would be mocked, would be ridiculed, would be accused, would be blasphemed, would be attacked, would be arrested. Mary would have to watch her son be tried in court, falsely accused, beaten and scourged. And then watch him crucified on a cross. This was not how it was supposed to be. This was not how it was supposed to be. And so sometimes following Jesus means having to give up your expectations. Sometimes following Jesus means having life not turn out the way you wanted it to or the way that you thought it should. When it gets hard, when you realize that not only did Jesus have a cross to bear, but he asks you to bear one too, will you follow? Will you leave? Mary didn't. Mary didn't. And so the nativity scene is this group of people who are following Jesus. And when I think about following now, it means something a lot different. They're following Jesus, knowing how hard it can be. Following Jesus can be long and hard. Following Jesus can bring ridicule and accusations. Following Jesus can crush your expectations. And it's not just true for them, but it's true for us, right? These things happen to us. And I think when they happen to us, in our lives, they really have two effects. Um, sometimes they cause us to leave Jesus. We just bolt. Like, I've had enough of this. I'm not doing this. Are you kidding me? Like, why would I put up with this? God thought Jesus promises abundant life. What is this? And people leave. Other times, people will stay, sort of. They'll stay in church, but their hearts become hard. They go through the motions, but their hearts harden toward God. When things get rough, 
when life deals you ridiculously complicated situations, suffering, trials. We're all tempted to just, I don't know, maybe we just like assume that God just doesn't care anymore. We assume that we're on our own. Our hearts harden. And we cut ourselves off from God. What do you do if this is you? There are some of you that are thinking about following Jesus, and it's this kind of stuff that's kept you from saying yes. You've got a healthy and realistic fear of what Jesus may ask you to do when you follow him. Others of you have been following Jesus in the past, but you feel like your love has grown cold. You feel like your heart is hard. Like what you're holding in your hand is your heart. And you're not sensitive to God. What do you do if that's where you are? What do you do to soften a hard heart? I think the answer that these folks would tell us is to worship. The answer to a hard heart, the way to exchange a hard heart for Christmas, to actually receive Jesus, is to worship. It's to worship. That's what they did. Look at this. This is what Mary did in Luke 2.19. It says, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them, in her heart. Mary worshipped by praying. Mary worshipped by praying. She pondered these things in her heart. And it wasn't perfunctory prayer. One definition of prayer I've heard is that prayer is thinking deeply in the presence of God. Instead of the challenges of following, driving her away, instead of it hardening her, Mary softened her heart. She went to God. She pondered, she meditated, she considered, she worshipped God by pressing into him and saying, God, this is hard. God, are you serious? God, what are the implications of this? God, help. Joseph, when he awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Joseph worshipped by obeying. Joseph worshipped by obeying. In the face of the shame, to identify with the ridicule, to say yes to that, Joseph worshipped by trusting that God was going to take care of him. And so he stepped out and he trusted and obeyed. He did what the angel said. Man, when we do that, you watch God come. Watch God show up in your life. When you step out, when it's not clear, that's the definition of faith, when it's not clear to you, but you step out trusting God, watch God show up. 
in your life. I read this week Proverbs chapter 30. I think it's verse 5. It says, every word of the Lord is true. God is a refuge for those who trust in him. When you step out into the uncertainty and you need to be protected, God will protect you. God will protect you. You can worship God by obeying. And then the wise men, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the wise men, they worshipped by giving. They worshipped by giving. And what they gave was an expression of the sum total of their lives. The gold. What they gave of their wealth. The frankincense. I'm not sure what's, what's wrong with me. Maybe it might be wrong with you too, but frankincense, that's a kind of incense. I don't know why, but maybe because I've heard it as a kid. I always just thought frankincense was this big, long word. Incense. <laughs> it's a certain, it's Frank's incense. Um, it's a guy named Frank. He makes it. You can buy it on the corner. Um, frankincense was part of what was used in worship. It was part of what was used in the tabernacle, in the temple of the Old Testament. Right? Incense was something that was offered to God in, um, in worship. And so they gave of their wealth, they gave of their worship, and then myrrh. Myrrh, the associations in the Bible with myrrh, there aren't very many, but they seem to be associated with bitterness and sorrow. And what that says to me was that they actually came and they gave to Jesus their sorrow. They gave to Jesus the challenges of life their pain, their bitterness, the things that caused their hearts to be hard, they gave to Jesus. Did you know that that could be a part of worship? If you're angry with God, if you're bitter, if you're frustrated, if you're sad and in pain and grieving, you can give those things to God. You give those things to God as an act of worship. Because ultimately, he's the only one who can handle it. And so when you give that to him, you worship. So Mary, Joseph, and the wise men, they gave, they worshiped Jesus. They worshiped him, they prayed, they obeyed. And then they gave. And they did all that because of the one who was lying in the feeding trough. They did that because God had come. Because God had come. The call of Jesus to follow, it's really interesting. Jesus never asks us to do anything that he hasn't done to the nth degree. Jesus took the longest road for us. Jesus' road far longer than 900 miles. Jesus' road led him to the cross, to hell and back. 
so that your road never has to end there. Jesus took the ridicule and the shame. He came and he was identified with sinners. Right? He loved the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes, the people who were poor in spirit, who had nothing going for them spiritually. Jesus said, those are my people. I love them. I am with them. He identified himself with sinners like us and then took our shame on the cross so that God would never be ashamed of us. And then Jesus took the worst of shattered expectations. The thing that nobody thought, that a king would go to reign, the king would be crowned by dying. But Jesus reigned from the cross. He reigned from the cross. On the cross, he conquered sin and death. He conquered his enemies and ours. And in his resurrection, in his resurrection, he shows that he was truly victorious. He shows that God can bring life and hope from the worst of evil. Our hearts harden at our difficulties. But you can exchange your hard heart for Jesus this Christmas. Come to him. Come to him in prayer. Follow him. Obey him and see him show up. And give. Give. Let your generosity this season reflect his generosity. When that happens, we exchange our rocks for Jesus. That's when Christmas comes true for us. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we are so, so prone to wander, prone to leave you. Things happen, we get frustrated, we get angry, and we bolt. We bolt when things don't work the way that we think they should or what we were hoping they would. And we confess that to you. Thank you for gathering us around the nativity scene to be able to see what it really means to follow you. Jesus, when I see the hard road that you had for Mary, for Joseph, for the wise men, it makes me feel like like this road is the right road, that what we're going through is not something that's outside of your will, but it's part of what it means to follow you. Please help us, Lord, to give you our hard hearts and to receive your soft heart, your love for God and for, for neighbors, the love that you have for the world. Give that to us in a new heart. We pray this in your name. Amen.